Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Because the, the whole idea of being a Christian was so intrinsically linked to being a part of the church that to be removed from the church carried with it the weight that you were no longer a genuine Christian. The first century church had its challenges. The church in the city of Corinth struggled with division and had any number of self-appointed apostles attempt to take charge. What set the Apostle Paul apart from these self-appointed super-apostles and what does that have to do with us in the modern church? Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues a series of messages looking directly at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, where we discover what it is that makes for true apostolic ministry and what our response should be. Let's join him now for part four of the Corinthian series. We're continuing to look through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians, and I wanted to start out by giving just a little bit of background information about the why behind the, the what, the what being this series. And, and the why is because many Christians today have a very, I guess, cold or cool relationship with the church, going to church, being a part of a church. And that is not historic Christianity. Historically, Christianity has not been separated from being converted to Christ, being a follower of Christ, and being a part of a local church. In fact, it's so critically important to your Christianity, then I, I think we, we just need a, a fresh understanding of what Christ actually taught about the church. And as we unpack Paul's epistles to the Corinthians, really a lot of what he's doing is giving them a theology that is the way God wants us to view the church. When we consider Christ's final statements to his disciples before the cross, that, that poignant moment in the garden where he would later be found by Judas, who knew he would be there, and as he is there talking with his disciples in the upper room and then he heads out to the garden, he said this to them where in John chapter 13, verse 31, now, when he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now, is the Son of Man glorified? God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And then he refers to his disciples like this, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So obviously, he's referring to his, his imminent death. He knew that he would die an atoning death and this is what he said to them a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another now that sounds wonderful it sounds very very poetic it sounds very lovely but practically what does that mean well he goes on and he says this and this is where i'm going to make the case as we look through paul's epistles to the corinthians that to be a follower of Christ means necessarily that you are a vital part of a local church. Because Jesus said this, let's see if you can understand where I'm coming from, by simply looking at what Jesus taught. This is verse 35, John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, he didn't stop the verse there. He didn't stop his address to the disciples there. There's a comma after that, and it continues on, if you have love for one another. 
Now, when you pull those things, those two things together, loving one another it, and being a disciple or a follower of Christ. Disciple, the word means follower. A dis, to be a disciple is to be a follower of Christ. And Christ will go on to explain what that means. And he stresses over and over in this Gethsemane passage that to be his disciple is to be someone who holds to his word, his teaching, in obedience. To be a follower of Christ is to obey Christ. So that's how he put it. He And he linked those two things together. If you are my follower, my disciple, this is how people will know, because you will have love one for another. You will love the church. You will love being with my followers, my disciples, if you have love one for another. So the connection of being a Christian and being a member or a part of a local church historically was never disconnected. There was no such thing in the early church of being a Christian and not being a part of the church. Now, this is going to be important as we look into chapter 5, which will be in our next session, which is called Being an Unleavened Church, because the, the whole idea of being a Christian was so intrinsically linked to being a part of the church that to be removed from the church carried with it the weight that you were no longer a genuine Christian. And Paul is going to leverage that with the Corinthians when it comes to bringing discipline. But this is really important, that to be a follower of Christ means that you are a part of a local church. Now, we live in a, an age, I guess, today where many Christians have become perhaps too easily offended, some for good reason, but not many. And what we are going to see in Paul's epistle here is that when there's disputes, which today it seems like there's not a, a willingness to resolve disputes or to work through conflict, but Paul in his epistle to the Corinthians, and this is, this is the why behind the what, the reason we're looking at this is because it, it's going to be so critically important to understand that to be a follower of Christ means to be a part of a church. To be a part of a church means that there will be disputes, there will be confrontation that happens, there will be disagreements that happen, and there will be the need to be held to account. Now, the, these are really, really important issues as we, we look at this. Let's pray. Then I want to give you a little bit of background to this section that we're going to have a look at, which is largely grounded in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word now, I pray that your word will open our heart. As we look into your word, may your word look into us. Help us to see things in your word that will help us to behold Christ. And Father, as we strive to be the kind of people you want us to be, Help us not just to do it individually, but to do it together as a local church. And Father, as people are listening to me now across the internet, perhaps on Facebook or on YouTube or wherever they're, they're watching or listening to this now, may their hearts be stirred with a fresh love for their local church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to look at something that Paul addresses here which had become a problem in Corinth. Paul had been in Corinth around about the year 51 AD and we can we can track that because of his reference to the to the Roman official that was there and we know from his history that that, that he was there around about AD 50 AD 51. 
it was uh, Paul was there for 18 months and then he left Corinth and went to Ephesus and it was in that was so we tracked that around about AD 53 or so so the the reason this is important there's a couple of reasons why I think this is this is relatively important and that is that we we know that the 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 message of Christ what we would call the gospel had become so widely known and accepted that Paul could often say to the Corinthians let things like this let me remind you at times there there are there are instances where Paul is addressing their their arrogance I suppose where he says do you not know and in fact it's a statement where he's saying you should know this because this is basic to understanding what it means to be a Christian and in AD 53, what we see later on, as we look at sec, or even later on in 1 Corinthians, we'll see that Paul actually cites Luke's gospel. Now, what that tells us is that Luke wrote his gospel very early on, and Luke himself will tell us that he researched his gospel by speaking with many eyewitnesses, and he wanted to make sure he gave an accurate account. So these details in 1st and 2nd Corinthians are, are really, really important. But when Paul left Corinth in AD 53, one of the things that happened almost straight away was that there were false teachers that came in and they caused tremendous division. And that led to a disunity among the church. And of course, the church was meeting in various homes and, and quite possibly one of the householders had a, a, a house big enough where occasionally they could all come together from across the city of Corinth. That, that is very, very possible. Uh, some of these householder houses, the Roman householder houses, could accommodate hundreds and hundreds of people. They would have had open courtyards and things like this where that was, was very possible. So one of the causes of the divisions and disunity uh, in Corinth were these self-appointed apostles now paul is going to perhaps sarcastically refer to them as super apostles in fact what we see is paul paul is actually going to use often use the language of these false teachers to be sarcastic and it, it sounds as if these philosophers who had come in and realized there was you know, if we could be so cynical as to say there was a buck to be made from from preaching the gospel because these philosopher apostles had had twisted the gospel and they had twisted what Paul was saying and they attacked him for not being an authentic apostle. And one of the reasons that they gave as to why they were genuine apostles and Paul was actually just a, 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 a he was a self-appointed apostle not a real authentic apostle was that Paul didn't earn his living from being a speaker an apostle whereas these traveling uh, philosophers who were now claiming to be apostles of Christ who would receive uh, financial support from from the Corinthians they, they said, because we are being financially supported, we're, we're the real thing. We're professional. We're the real deal. We've been trained in rhetoric, which is the art of persuasive speaking. 
we we are genuinely appointed by God. But when Paul was here, he clearly wasn't authentic. He worked as a leather worker, a tent maker. So we know that Paul was not was not considered by these false teachers to be a genuine or authentic apostle. Here's how Paul responded, and it's it's important to know that he didn't just let this criticism pass unnoticed. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So we see what Paul's doing there. He's picking up on the attack that these false teachers had been leveling at him behind his back, we might add, because Paul wasn't there, that he wasn't really an apostle. I just wanted to take just a couple of moments here just to digress a little bit and ask the question, when they say apostle and when Paul says apostle, what actually are we talking about? What does the New Testament mean by the term apostle? Now, this is something that I feel a little bit a little bit qualified to discuss because I spent the best part of five years working on a, a doctoral dissertation on this very question. What, what is an apostle? What does it mean? And, and is there any relevance for this term, this, this category of ministry today? And if you want to find out the conclusion of my dissertation, you can find that on Amazon. Uh, authentic uh, apostolic church leadership. That anyway, that's I digress. In First Corinthians chapter four and verse one, uh, verses one and two, Paul says this, and this is help. This helps us to understand uh, what Paul meant by the term apostle. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The first thing we see that we are seeing here, maybe not the first thing to see, but the first thing that we should see from what Paul says is that a, an apostle, which simply means a messenger of Christ, that's, that's that word apostle, but it, like a lot of the words in the New Testament, they took on a far richer, far deeper significance and meaning and this word apostle is certainly one of those words but faithfulness to the one who sent them is the very first thing that Paul says he says that that an apostle was a steward and a servant and in order to be a good servant he says you have to be found faithful in the earlier chapter in chapter 3 in verse 5 he says this what then is Apollos what is Paul now these were two of the categories of division right the the corinthians had claimed well you know i follow apollos and others were saying well i follow paul but this is what paul says what then is apollos what then is paul servants through whom you believed as the lord assigned to each so the 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 first thing there is that paul says you know the the apostle is nothing in themselves they are simply there to represent christ they are called to be faithful to Christ. That's it. That's all. We are servants called to be faithful. The other thing that Paul says 
is that an apostle has a father's heart. Now, this is going to be a bit of a shock, I guess, to many people that Paul says that a father is someone who provides for his children, not the other way around. And I say that knowing that there are, there are many people who claim to be apostles today, and there's a lot more I could say about that. But what, one of the things that, that is almost characteristic of those that do is that they make large and continual appeals for money. So listen to what Paul says about a genuine apostle. For this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. So the, this is what I want you to see. Paul is saying that an apostle, a genuine, authentic apostle, has a father's heart. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. So the next thing we see about what constitutes an authentic apostle is that last phrase that Paul's given. Be imitators of me. Someone whose life is an example of holiness and, and authentic, genuine, sincere commitment to Christ. So to be an apostle, someone has to be obviously a genuinely authentic follower of Christ. Someone whose life represents the holiness that Christ demands and Christ expects. So in the, Paul says in, in that same chapter, this note about what, what it costs to be an apostle. Having just said that an apostle is someone who has a father's heart, where he says, you have many people who will preach at you. Now, that's my translation, at you. They will be your guides, but not many are prepared to be your father. To be a father, if you think about this in the, the actual sense of a father with his own children, a father pays a price to have children. A father pays, there's a cost to being a father. I'm the father of four children, and they cost. <laughs> now, as I think any father will tell you, there's also a reward to being a father that, that is such an incredible blessing. And that's why a genuine father, a father who genuinely loves his children, is someone who will do whatever they can to bless their children and to see their children grow and, and be developed. There is a cost that comes from being a father. A father protects, a father provides, a father pastors, that is, shepherds their children's soul. And Paul says in, in chapter 4, verses 11, and the first part of verse 13, he says this, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, and we've looked at what being reviled means, that when, it's when people just call you names rather than engage with you about whatever the issue is. They just name call you. They just throw ridicule at you and, and name call. So Paul says this, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. So this is what Paul says is the cost, the price 
of being a genuine apostle. He, he notes that genuine apostolic ministry, his apostolic ministry, is distinct from the kind of thing that these false super apostles, and I'll come to the, where he actually uses that word in a moment, the ministry of a genuine apostle. We, we note 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1 again. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Now note this, have I not seen the Lord? So it seems, as we'll pick up in a moment, that, that Paul says this is one of the hallmarks of authenticity. Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Right. There's two hallmarks of authenticity. Let's have a look at them. Number one, an apostle is someone who has had a direct encounter with the Lord Jesus who commissioned them. Now, is that possible today? Well, that's another question. Secondly, we see that a genuine apostle is, is someone whom Christ has called. And in Paul's, in, in Paul's uh, instance, Christ had called him to do something. And what was, that, what was that thing that Christ called him to do? Well, Christ called him to establish churches. So here's the question. Did he? Well, the answer is clearly yes, he did. <laughs> and the Corinthians were actually a part of that call. So the church in Corinth was actually established because Paul turned up. Paul established the church in Corinth. So Paul might well ask of these false apostles, these so-called super apostles, how many churches have you started? And the answer would be none. So Paul also says in that passage, that, that stretch in 1 Corinthians 9, which we'll have a look at that in a moment, but that to be apostolic, to, that he had an apostolic right to be paid a wage and to be supported in his ministry to the churches. So while these false teachers, these so-called super apostles were claiming, well, Paul can't be the real deal. He can't be really an authentic apostle. After all, look at him. He's, he's working. He's sweaty. He stinks. He's, he's having, oh, it's gross. He's playing with, with this the leather that, that, oh, oh. They have to, oh, it's terrible. They have to dip it in urine to soften it up. And oh, but at the end of the day, what does Paul smell like? That's not the way an apostle smells. Paul actually pick up on this word fragrance a bit later. And, and it's important for us to maybe see the context of this criticism. But Paul says he had a right. He had a right to be paid a wage and supported for his ministry to the churches. And he actually did enjoy that. Because it was the Philippians that while Paul was ministering in Corinth, it was the Philippians that financially supported him. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 4 to 6, Paul says this, Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? That's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Hmm. He goes on in verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 11. So Paul also says that he exhibited the signs of a true apostolic ministry. 
The true apostolic ministry, he says, consisted of these three words, signs, wonders, miracles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, he says this, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs, wonders, and mighty works, which is another way of describing miracles. Signs, wonders, and mighty works. Paul's apostolic ministry was also characterized by humility and servanthood. Paul didn't go around calling himself a super apostle. <laughs> in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he said this, For I am the least of the apostles. Now, just pick up, let's read between the lines here. These critics of Paul were probably calling Paul the least of the apostles. They were saying if, if some of them were indeed acknowledging, oh, he might be an apostle, but he's the least of apostles. Well, Paul actually, it sounds to me like Paul might be picking up on that language where he says, for I am, I am, I'm the least of apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Again, it sounds like he's picking up on the language of his accusers because I persecuted the church of God. Hmm. But when Paul was attacked by those who called themselves, and they did, they called themselves super apostles, he pulled no punches. And we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So these super apostles were skilled in the art of rhetoric, which was a training that would have taken several years and would have started at an early age where you could be taught how to persuade a crowd, how to speak to a crowd and manipulate the crowd with your, with the, your way with words. And Paul says, no, they're right. I've never had that training. I've never learned to do that. But what I have got is knowledge, and not just knowledge, stuff that I know, it's stuff that I've experienced. And I can share that with you, and I did share that with you, and you know that it brought you to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, I have been a fool, Paul says. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. And why was that? Well, because he founded the church. He led them to Christ. He discipled them. And now they were wondering, is he really an apostle at all? He goes on and says, For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. Hmm. Well, what do we see from what Paul is saying here about his apostolic ministry and the ministry of these so-called super apostles? We see, we're going to see several things. And, and firstly, let, let's just recap what we've just seen in this brief survey of what Paul has said about what a genuine apostle is and what a super apostle or a false teacher someone who is claiming to be an apostle but really they're not they're nothing they don't have the characteristics of an apostle and i guess today i i think we should be nervous at least nervous by anyone who calls themselves an apostle 
And the reason I think that is based on what Paul is saying here. Firstly, it sounds like he was in some sense reluctant to say this was a point of, to, for bragging. You know, he, he didn't see this as a, as a bragging title. He saw this as a lowly title. He saw this, you know, apostles, apostles are people who serve. Apostles are, are bond servants. Julos is the word. And that was the lowest member of society, by the way. And Paul saw that an apostle was someone who just simply obeyed their master. This is servant-slave, uh, master-slave rather, language. And that's the language that Paul is using here. So what should the Corinthians have learned? Firstly, the basis for discerning the difference between a true or false teacher is how they live and what they teach. Secondly, Paul's apostolic ministry was universally accepted by all the other churches. The apostolicity of these false teachers was not. Thirdly, Paul's teaching was consistent with the accepted revelation, one, of the Old Testament, secondly, the Gospels, and thirdly, the church's endorsement. What can we learn from Paul's epistle to the Corinthians? So what can we learn? Number one, the difference between a true or false teacher is determined by whether their life and their teaching is consistent with the Bible. Hmm. Secondly, ministers of the gospel should be servant-hearted and not motivated by greed or the pursuit of money. Thirdly, church congregations should support and honour those whom God has gifted and called as their ministers of Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul says this, This is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And what Paul is saying there is all the other churches, all the other churches accept my apostolic ministry. If they do, you whom I planted in the Lord should also accept it. I hope there's some lessons there that we learned today, not to be tricked, hoodwinked, beguiled, led astray by people who make big things of themselves, who big note themselves, and then ask for money and financial support. I think there should be red flags that go up when we hear someone like that. Let's pray. Father, help us to love the local church. Help us to have a, a relationship with the servants whom you have placed in that local church to be teachers, to be guides, to be shepherds. May every church represented by this, this listening audience have pastors, shepherds, who love and care for the flock, who teach the flock the word of God. And so, Father, I pray for all those listening now, maybe those who do not yet know the Lord, that their hearts might be opened and that they might come to know Christ as their Lord, as their Saviour, their Rescuer and Redeemer. Now, Father, bless all those who have participated in looking at your word now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Corinthians Part 4 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. 
As we've heard tonight, the difference between true or false teaching is determined by whether their lives and teaching is consistent with the Bible. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.